According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My battery is low. Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. I also have the broken clip. Did you bring the clip back? All right. <clears throat> Thank you. Our growth comes to the scriptures. We're going to be in Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to preach until the battery dies. How about that? Philippians chapter 2. And uh, the bulk of our time in this chapter has been spent in the first half, verses 1 through 18, where we have three exhortations, and they are such marvelous exhortations. You can spend hours and hours uh, going through these. Uh, Make my joy complete, for example. Uh, Have this attitude in yourselves and uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so you have these three uh, marvelous uh, exhortations in the first half of the chapter, well, we've, we've come through that now, and we're ready to uh, tackle the second half of the chapter, and it's a uh, section that I've simply titled Travel Arrangements, and it focuses on Timothy and Epaphroditus, but the label itself I'm starting to regret uh, because it's, it's, rather, um, it's, it's so much more than just simply travel arrangements. Yes, he hopes to send Timothy shortly. Yes, Epaphroditus is coming first. Yes, Paul will likely be following Timothy at some point when he is able to come. And so we can think of those things as travel arrangements, but there's really such a meat, such a uh, content to this, this uh, portion of, of the book that it goes into the qualifications of Timothy, why it is that he is uniquely suited, why it is because he's of one spirit with Paul, that why it is that he is qualified to not only travel to Philippi, but have fruitful ministry when he's there. Why it is that he's going to have the discerning eye to evaluate things and then re- report back to Paul and deliver a, an assessment of, uh, of their condition. And so let me just read it and then we'll open in prayer. Verses 19 and 20. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. We'll go past that just a little bit more too. It says in verse 21, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. All right. And so this is part of the, the Paul's thinking in terms of dispatching Timothy to this assignment. Why it is that he can't send anybody else that's with him at the time. And, and on this particular missionary journey, he's got some solid men with him, but they're not yet at the point where he can trust them to go and to report back with a discernment that he requires uh, on, this, uh, on this occasion. All right, so this is uh, what we're going to pick up with here this morning. Before we do get started, though, remember, God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. To sit here in carnality this morning would be a colossal waste of time. So let's take a moment, make sure we're in fellowship, that we are humble under the authority of the Word of God. Silent prayer, please. Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, rejoicing in the blessing that we have to study, to show ourselves approved. You command us to do this, Father, but it's, it's a fun command to obey. We study, we learn, we grow, and this is the word that, that feeds us. It's the word that, that transforms us, equips us, Father. And so we readily embrace it. We thank you for all things that you're going to teach us with today. Thank you for our visitors, for our guest speaker. For all things on this day, Father, the, uh, the blessings are poured forth by your grace. We don't earn them, we don't deserve them, but we thank you for every single one. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, in breaking this down then, we observed, first of all, that Paul hoped to send Timothy to do what? To conduct a spiritual appraisal of the Philippians. It's like when you're buying a house and you're going to pay somebody to be an inspector. You've got to get your house appraised. And, and so you're going to send somebody there that knows what they're looking at. You're not going to send me, 
all right, because I'm not going to know what I'm looking at if I'm walking through a house. And, and, uh, but the, home, the professionally trained home inspectors, they know what they're looking at, and they know the problems in, in something that has to be dealt with before you purchase a home. And that's the point here. Timothy has to conduct a spiritual appraisal. He wants to learn. It says in verse 19, that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And so the point is, is not only is Timothy going to travel there, he's not going to stay there. He's going to check things out. He's going to stay for whatever length of time, obviously encourage them, teach them, do what he does. But then he's going to return back to Paul's prison location, see, which the traditional dating and traditional source is Rome. I think the better source is Ephesus in the uh, second missionary journey. But wherever it is, uh, Timothy's expected to come back and report back to Paul. And then Paul, having learned that I may learn of your condition, will uh, receive the encouragement that's uh, spoken of there. And it's a different kind of encouragement than we're used to seeing. And so we'll deal with the vocabulary at that point when we get that far. But it's a spiritual uh, appraisal. This segment is similar. This segment of the book of Philippians is similar to a segment we find in 1 Corinthians, for example. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 17 through 19 and uh, we can grab that just briefly this morning as well. 1 Corinthians four seventeen through 19. And you realize there's value in these uh, trips. There's value in uh, itinerant work and short-term missions work and other things of that nature. Going from one place to another place and offering the encouragement that comes when you're reminded that, hey, we're not the only believers on the planet. <laughs> we, we got brothers and sisters from all over, and it's a, it's a thrill to, uh, to, to host them when they arrive. And he tells the Corinthians here uh, in verses 17 through 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for this reason I have sent you, for what reason? Well, verse 16, I exhort you, be imitators of me, okay? And for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So here's a mission trip for Timothy. And Timothy gets to go and gets to travel from Ephesus to Corinth. He gets to have ministry when he gets there. He was, uh, I believe, it's clear that he was the courier that carried the scroll that was 1 Corinthians. So they received 1 Corinthians at the time when Timothy hands it to them. And then Timothy gets to preach. He gets to preach the content of 1 Corinthians. He gets to preach other things. He gets to preach everything he learned from Paul and reminding them. So how easy is this? He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. And so if you're a young Bible teacher and you're just starting out, there's nothing wrong with uh, taking some, some grace notes courses, for example, and learning a doctrine like, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe filling of the Holy Spirit. It's a doctrine that every believer ought to know. And then you have an opportunity to, to work through it, to learn it, and then to teach it, see. And that's what we're doing tonight, by the way, at the 6 o'clock hour. Bill Kelly gets to teach the doctrine of filling of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a blessing. And we get to see these things and, and learn from them. And so that's what Timothy's doing here. And uh, then he goes on to say, Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. As if uh, Timothy was young and and uh, you could intimidate him or ignore him or whatever. And then maybe, you know, big deal. It's not Paul coming back. Why is Paul not coming back? Why is Paul sending this kid? And uh, he says, but I will come to you soon. Now, this is a little bit of a difference. I don't know if you notice this or not. He says in verse 19, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. And so this is slightly different than the Philippian message. He's not expecting Timothy to come back and report uh, on the spiritual health of the Corinthians. Uh, Timothy is delivering the scroll of 1 Corinthians, and Paul says that when he arrives, he will learn firsthand, not their words, but their, uh, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. So at the point that 1 Corinthians is sent, uh, I don't believe Timothy is, is quite yet ready and equipped to be able to do those kind of appraisals. But by the time Philippians is written, he's right there. He's like-minded with Paul. He's got a, a, a united spirit with Paul, a kindred spirit. He's able to go to Philippi. He's able to come back. And Paul will trust his assessment on the spiritual condition of the Philippian believers. 
All right. So that's kind of what we're looking at there. Now, the last detail here before we finish the verse, or before we move on to the second part of the verse, this idea of hoping in the Lord Jesus, what's that about? If I say I hope to do something, and then I say I hope in the Lord Jesus to do something, does that make a difference? What is that anyway? Hoping in the Lord Jesus, here's what it does. It subjects personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. It subjects personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ. And so think about the things that we hope, earthly things, spiritual things, ministry things, whatever. Okay? You know, and it could be monumental. You know, uh, somebody might hope to be married someday and have a family, or somebody might hope to, uh, you know, travel, hope to see the pyramids someday. You know, it's on my bucket list before I die, uh, or whatever. I hope, whatever we hope, okay? Let's just stop and recognize, well, wait a minute, the Lord's got a better plan than I do. (laughs) So if what I hope to do is actually not in the will of God, then I hope, and I know, (laughs) what the Lord's going to do, He's going to step in with His marvelous grace, with His overruling will, and He's going to stop me from departing from His will. If, if I'm humble before Him, right? If I'm willing to say, not my will but Thine be done. And so when you say, I hope in the Lord... What you're saying is, is I hope to do this, but in the will of God, in the will of the Lord, if he does not open that door, then I'm not going to be out of, out of his will and go do something on my own. That makes sense? <clears throat> and so uh, when we subject our personal desire to the headship of Jesus Christ, we have our own Gethsemane moment. We have our own faith moment where we say, not our will, but thine be done. And we're willing ahead of time to subject that to the will of God by offering it up in prayer on that basis. In the Lord, I hope to do such and such. Or if the Lord wills. And this is the caveat that should always be clear. I think James 4.15 is very clear. If you're going to go to a certain town and work for for a year and do such and such. And uh, James says, don't think like that. Rather say, if the Lord wills. I will go to this town and do such and such and, and proceed on that basis. And so there's a lot of passages actually that address this. Acts 18.21, Romans 1.10. I'm not going to reread all these this morning. We, we covered this uh, material on Wednesday night. Um, Romans 1.10, Romans 15.32, 1 Corinthians 16.7. And, and I guess I'll just grab that one, <laughs> okay? Uh, just for the sake of, of reminding ourselves, you know, welcome to ministry. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the chaos of, of walking daily with the Lord and, and it's fun, okay? Because we don't have foreknowledge. We don't have the alpha to omega uh, perspective that God has. We are creatures of time, bound by time, walking one day at a time and walking by faith as these things unfold. And so some of this gets reflected very well here in 1 Corinthians. 16, part of, uh, part of what they held against him in between First and Second Corinthians, part of the criticism they leveled against him. They said, Paul, you're wishy-washy. Paul, you can't make up your mind. And just because details had changed in between First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, that's not Paul's fault. It's actually a good thing, and they need to learn what it means when you subject your will to the will of God. <clears throat> and so... Really, it's the, the early verses here, these uh, first nine verses maybe of, of this chapter that, that spell this out. He says, first of all, um, I don't want money to be a barrier when I get there, right? So he says, uh, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Don't let the pressure of a, of a, a apostolic appearance you know, guilt you into feeling bad. And uh, you don't want to just, you know, fork over more, more dollars because you feel bad because Paul's in town. He says that's not how grace works. So you serve the Lord and you're setting this aside ahead of time. And then he says, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So that's great. You've prearranged it. You've pre-funded it. You've pre-designated it. When I arrive, we'll just see what's there and then we'll appoint whoever's going and there they go. What a grace thing to do. He says, I might even go with them. 
if it is fitting for me to go also, then they will go with me. So I misspoke a moment ago when Paul said, I might even go with them. Technically, if there's an apostle on board, then they're going with him. (laughs) Okay? If he just adds himself to the itinerary at the last minute, the apostles, the authority, they will go with me. But if he doesn't go, then he'll, uh, he'll commission them and off they go. So that seems up in the air, doesn't it? If it is fitting, proper, appropriate, then they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia. Now this is what changed. All right, What changed in the meantime was instead of coming through Macedonia and down, he thought, well, maybe I'll go to Corinth first and then to Macedonia. And he couldn't, there were, there were changes in, in intention there. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. Well, come on, Paul. <laughs> you know, can you imagine? Expedia would have hated him. Or travel agents. I mean, make up your mind. How many nights are you going to stay here? You know, just a few days, the whole winter, what are you doing? For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, and here it is, if the Lord permits. So when you're hoping in the Lord, it's you've got to be flexible, and you've got to be willing for Him to show you things that you didn't see until you got there. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service is open to me. If the door is wide and you know it's your door, what are you going to do? Say, oh, sorry, Lord. (laughs) Thanks for the wide open door, but I hope somebody else can cover that. I, I got places to go. I got things to do. No, if it's an open door and it's your open door, and we've taught this before also, don't assume that every open door is your open door. Because there's too much and you can't do it all. So just decide, all right, this is an open door. I get that, but it's not my open door. Whose open door is this? And then pray for him to go through that door. And when the door is open, how does verse 9 end? There are many adversaries. (laughs) There are many adversaries. So just pay attention to that. When you're praising God in prayer meeting for this open door, also keep your armor on and pray for, uh, for, for empowerment because the adversaries are going to be there. All right. Anyway, that's, uh, that's that. Now, the question then arises, and this is why I gave you a handout, because the next slide is intimidating. And I just teased you with it on Wednesday. That is a whopping slide. And it's too small to read also. So p- gave it for you in a handout. Uh, the front rows can probably read it okay. But um, these are the things we can do in the Lord. What does it mean to do something in the Lord? I mean, what does that even mean? I'm going to hope in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to uh, greet others in the Lord. Okay? When you came into the fellowship hall and I greeted you, was that in the Lord or not in the Lord? And how do you know? (laughs) Okay? And so, what are these? I mean, are these meaningless expressions or are they meaningful expressions? You know, an unbeliever can greet you. An unbeliever can say, hi, how you doing? And not care, okay? The, the question's meaningless. But a believer can greet you in the Lord. How does that happen? How do I hope in the Lord? How do I wish in the Lord? How do I die in the Lord? There's a long list of things we can do in the Lord, and that's why we, we gave you the handout, okay? And, and, and it's worth pondering, too. And then as you look at the Scriptures, I think it becomes pretty clear what this is, but but until you uh, until you kind of go through that exercise and that discipline, it's really an open question. Well, how do I do this in the Lord? Does that mean is it like a language? <laughs> you know, it's like I can greet you in English, or I can greet you in Spanish, I can greet you in French, I can greet you in the Lord. Is that what it means? So, is it a linguistic thing? Or is it, a, is it a spiritual thing, and how does that work? Is it like, is it a dif- difference between speaking out loud and speaking in your head? Is that what it is? Because then, <laughs> if, if I happen to be an introvert, then I can greet all kinds of people in the Lord, and I just I don't have to do so out loud, right? Yeah, 
like I love you in the Lord and I don't have to do anything tangibly. In the, no, that's not what it is. Okay? Neither is the greeting, by the way. Neither is the hoping. Neither is the... I mean, look at all this list. Things we can do in the Lord. Knowing, being convinced, receiving a saint, working hard, greeting others, boasting, birthing a child. <laughs> yeah, birthing a child in the Lord. Marry in the Lord. Enter a door of ministry in the Lord. Have confidence in the Lord, either in somebody else or in yourself. Self-confidence in the Lord. How about obey your parents? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I think that the problem is, and the reason why I'm going to take today to teach this, and we'll go through this handout, is because all too often I think that phrase just gets glossed over and ignored. It's just throwaway terminology. It's like in a prayer meeting, you say, Father, if it could be your will. But you don't really mean that. You just learned how to say that. You learned how to say that, Father, if it could be your will. And what you really mean is, Father, I want this. <laughs> so make it your will. <laughs> Clearly it's your will, Father, because I want it. And you want me to have what I want. And that's the kind of God I want you to be. Is the God that gives me whatever I want. But we learn how to couch it in these polite churchy words by saying, Father, if it could be your will. And so these phrases in the Lord I think are interesting. Now, before we get to that, let me just switch over. Now, I made, I'm going to abandon the slide for now, because I made a, uh, a book on this. So we can just use Logos, Christian Actions Done in the Lord. Here we go. And uh, this is just like your handout. So if you've got the piece of paper in front of you, then this is what we're looking at here as well. The only difference being you can't click your paper. Uh, if we click this, then the Bible goes where it's supposed to go. And, uh, and we can click faster than we can flip, okay? Ten, we tend to flip. Well, I don't know. Some of you are real fast Bible flippers. But <clears throat> in any event, there's a lot of verses on this handout. I don't know how far we're going to get in the time that we have this morning. But the things that we can do in the Lord ought to be exciting. Ought to be exciting because you start to think, well, wait a minute. What can I do? See? And, and Christianity is fun. Being saved, having eternal life, not just having it, but living it out. Okay? And, and I'm not talking about charismatic, Pentecostal kind of Miraculous stuff either, all right? Because we don't do any of that. That's, that's first century and we're, we're past that. And about, but the things we do now? Are you kidding me? Paul in the first century would have loved to have seen this day. What would the Apostle Paul have done with Logos Bible software in the 21st century? <laughs> I mean, wow. Absolutely wow. And so here we are. What can we do? What can I do with my armor on? What can I do in prayer? What can I do in the Spirit? What can I do in the Lord? And in a study like this morning will help us to see how that happens. First of all, I've got to be saved. I've got to be in fellowship. I can't be carnal, so I've got to confess my sins. I've got to be restored to fellowship. But if I'm walking in the light, if I'm walking by means of God the Holy Spirit, if my armor is on, I can do a lot. You can do a lot. We all can and we've we, we got to start to realize we're not just talking in metaphor. We're actually doing stuff physically, tangibly, having impact in, in our world. All right. So before we start talking about the things that we do, and they're not superpowers, okay? They're not magical hocus-pocus stuff. They're better than that. Better than that, okay? Before we talk about the things that we can do, we talk about the things that we are or the things that we have, okay? Because being precedes doing. Absolutely, being precedes doing every time. And so before we talk about the things that we do, we have to talk about the things that we have or that we possess, the things that we are by grace through faith. The, the fact that we're saved means, as a church age believer now, we have life in Christ, we have love in Christ, we have grace, we have liberty, we have blessing, we have unity. We have all of that. Just by being saved, okay? Somebody just got saved this morning. They have all of this. And they have as much of this as, as you and I have and however long you've been saved. We have this in Christ. So uh, it says in Romans 6.11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, okay? That's a positional truth reality. 
for a church-age saint, not the Old Testament, not David and Moses and Daniel, all those Old Testament guys, but us today, from Pentecost to Rapture in the Bride of Christ, we have Zoe life in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The same chapter down to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Realize a lot of the end plus the date of phrases that we have in the, in the Greek New Testament where it is a, a sphere of being in Christ and Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And this is what we're talking about. The positional reality is we're in Christ, but the experiential applications happen because Christ is in us. The Father is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And so we work it out on that basis. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, In Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. We have this life in Christ. Zoe life in Christ. The, the bios life, the bios life, we get that as physical life. We get that at birth. We get that from our earthly parents. But when you're born again, you receive the Zoe life. And the Zoe life is the life that's eternal. It's the only life that's eternal in, uh, in Scripture. And so I have life. I have love. Romans 8, 39. All these things. What's going to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? nothing. I have this love and I can never lose this love. I will always have this love. The Father loves me. The Son loves me. I have this love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. All right, now I'm in Christ. What can separate me from this love? We were talking the other day, what's your favorite eternal security passage? This is right up there, okay? This is a high on my list between this and John 10. I, I, I go, go to both these places a lot and encouraging people that you can't lose your salvation. We have love in Christ. We have grace in Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, Old Testament saints received grace, but the church receives it corporately and collectively and powerfully in Christ Jesus. In everything, you were enriched in Him, in all speech and in all knowledge. And this verb to enrich, I think, is significant because... Um, just this weekend, in fact, um, had a little bit of a disappointing discussion about what does it mean for enrichment, to enrich the lives of others, and uh, kind of a secular humanist view that thinks you can enrich the lives of others and without Christianity or the Bible or religion or God. But in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. If you're not saved, you're not enriched, not biblically speaking. Okay? And if you're serving some earthly religion, there's no personal enrichment there, despite what they call it. We have liberty, of course, because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Now, these are a bunch of Judaizers that had come in to try to spy them out. And so what a, what a contrast, the liberty that we have, especially when we look at New Testament reality versus Old Testament reality. Okay? Old Testament believers got saved, but what kind of liberty did they have? They weren't in Christ. They were not in Christ, not until the church age, not until, you know, to have this kind of liberty, you know what you've got to have? You've got to have a victorious Savior seated at the right hand of God the Father. You've got to have the sin of the world removed by the Lamb of God. You've got to have a victorious substitute seated in session at our right hand. The propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but also those of the whole world. And you've got to have the advocate, the helper, sent from heaven indwelling each one of us. In other words, until the church age reality is in place, you can't have church age reality. I mean, <laughs> hello. Okay. That's why it's so unthinkable for anyone in an Old Testament perspective. And don't get me wrong, Daniel was a great hero, Noah, Job. I mean, these guys, huge heroes of the faith. That's why they're featured in Hebrews 11. And you see what they did by faith. But they were not baptized in the union with Jesus Christ. They were not permanently indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Even when they received the Holy Spirit, it was a coming upon, not a dwelling within. All right? They were not baptized in the union with Jesus Christ. They did not have the liberty that we have in Christ. All right. 
liberty. Blessing. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What's really uh, fun with this one, too, is when we consider that it's a present blessing. It is a present promise, and it is a present reality. And even in the Old Testament, when they had the promise of blessing, Abraham died and didn't see it. All these other generations died and didn't see it. The promise of blessing was still future. The promise of the outpouring of the Spirit was yet future. The promise of the kingdom was yet future. Everybody operating under an Old Testament reality under the Hebrew Scriptures was looking forward to the coming promise. You and I testify to the promise that came, died, and rose again, and is seated at the Father's right hand. And so we are in Christ living the promise. Living the promise. We have it already. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So if somebody asks, how are you? You can say, I'm blessed. (laughs) I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And it's a lot better than the dumb, you know, fine. You know, when they say, how are you? You say, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Okay. That is meaningless. It means nothing. It's probably a lie anyway, and they don't care. They're just going through the whole little exercise, okay? Starbucks yesterday, the kid said, how are you? And I said, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Which is a quote from James 1.3, by the way. And, And he was just stunned. He's like, well, that's excellent. I want to be that way. All right. Austin Bible Church tomorrow morning, okay? He's not here yet, but we'll see. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. No, Old Testament saints couldn't have any of this. This is our heritage in the royal family of God. And then finally, unity. You belong, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. That's not the verse I wanted. I wanted, back up, 1, verse 28. Neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. You're all one. That's unity. You're all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And so I think this is all the the positional reality truth, and all of this is true, but very frequently Christians lose sight of that and we stop living as if it's true. We, We stop experiencing the applications that should follow as a matter of course. They should follow as a, as a practical expression of what is fundamentally true. And, you know, again, to start back over again with Romans 6, consider yourselves to be dead to God, or dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why do you consider yourself that? Because it's true. <laughs> you consider yourself that because it's true. All right. And so uh, if a church loses unity... If a flock uses, loses unity, if you've got a split going on or a fight or something else is going on, and if you don't see the unity that should be there, well, what's the issue? Okay? We've lost focus of what we're doing in Christ. We stopped greeting each other in the Lord, and we started greeting each other in the flesh, or we started greeting each other in something other than spirituality in the Lord. Okay? We stopped loving each other in the Lord. Try doing that in the flesh, okay? Not going to happen. So, because of all these things we possess in the Lord, because of everything we have, there's a long list of things we can do. And we can do these things in the Lord. Things we can do. This is what we can do, right? Think about it. And, and so just chart it out. Have fun with it. Things we can do. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a child, if you're saved. we got four-year-olds in this church that have eternal life. And so they can do the same things we can do. It's not like, you know, you're waiting to grow up and, and when you're 16, then what can you do? You can drive, right? And when you're 18, then what can you do? You can vote. And when you're 21, then what can you do? You can drink. Then when you're, you know, there's things you can do that you can't do if you're too young. I got saved, I was four years old, almost five, September of 73, and I got saved. And all these things then, 
I became a brother. My, my mother introduced me to the pastor as my brother. And that was weird. Because <laughs> he was old. And, and yet, he's my brother. He's my brother. See, 1973, and he was born in 32. He was 41. That's wrong. He was 41 at the time. Is that right? He was born in 1932, March 7th, 1932. So in 1973, he was 41 years old. Oh, he seemed old. Now I know he wasn't. He was just a kid. All right. <laughs> 41. But when you're saved, you can start doing all these things, all right? And it's not like, you know, it's not like uh, superpowers, you know, what can you do? Spider-Man can climb up walls, you know, Thor can fly with his hammer. Uh, you know, what can you do? Because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what can you do? What are your, and they're not superpowers, but they're not earthly either, I'll tell you that. You can do things that no unbeliever can do or would want to do or even dreams of doing. And we do things in the church age that an Old Testament believer thought, wow, wouldn't that be marvelous? So knowing and being convinced in the Lord. Um, and the order on these is largely uh, sequential through the New Testament, so they may not be in the best order possible, um, but it's just a quick study anyway. So if you want to improve upon it, feel free and uh, find things I missed and take out things that I put in there incorrectly. Okay? But when he says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. What does that mean? Why do we have that phrase in the Lord Jesus? Why not just take it out? The sentence don't make sense. I know and am convinced that nothing is unclean in itself. But he says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus. That seems to have a significance. That seems to be different. That seems to mean that Paul has cycled it through and in his occupation with Christ, he has learned something here from the Lord. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus. This is far more than just a personal opinion. This is far more than, well, what do you think? What do I think? What do you think? He knows and is convinced, persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so if you have a weaker brother, somebody that doesn't have the same faith convictions you have, they've got different convictions. Great. Don't make them stumble. Don't throw your convictions in their face and mock them for what they're doing. That's what the whole chapter here is about. So I want to know, and I want to know in the Lord. I want to know in the Lord. I'm here. That's why we open Bible class with prayer. That's why we make sure we're in the fellowship. We make sure we're in the Lord. Father, open my eyes. Teach me. Convince me. Persuade me in the Lord of every verse I look at and how I need to live it and what it means to me. And so I can know and I can be convinced in the Lord. I can also receive a saint in the Lord like Phoebe. Here's Phoebe the deaconess. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a deaconess. The word servant there is the feminine gender of deacon. It's a deaconess, which church history had for the first three centuries anyway, until Rome turned them into nuns, all right? But from the first century, they were deaconesses. And now in the 21st century, we have deaconesses again. At least Austin Bible Church has deaconesses. Here's Phoebe, a deaconess of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Again, you can take those words out. The sentence still makes sense. You can receive her in a manner worthy of the saints and help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. So a traveling missionary comes through town. Somebody like Phoebe is passing through Rome. And she comes with the apostolic recommendation from Sancria. Oh, okay. So receiving her in the Lord. I like it. Okay? <laughs> you know, if Jesus Christ himself came to town, what do you do? You put him up at the, the Omni? The, or you put him up at the, the, the ritziest, richest you know, place we have? Or we shove him over in the Motel 6 somewhere and say, you know, what do we do? We receive him in the Lord. Do we honor him? 
This is, by the way, do your work as unto the Lord. For those of you that have uh, bosses that maybe uh, are unreasonable, hey, it's as unto the Lord. What's the Lord worthy of? So we can receive a saint. How about um, Philippians 2.29? Receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in a high regard. Philippians has a lot of these, by the way. Hoping in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, receiving in the Lord. There's a lot of in the Lord phrases in the book of Philippians. We'll see a lot of those. So receive him then in the Lord. This is Epaphroditus. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him. This is why we learn that it's normative. It's not just limited to a few select places in the Bible. It's normative for the entire church age. Hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what it was deficient in your service to me. And so that's why these, 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 these brethren, these guys are heroes to me. You know, Fasil John comes from Pakistan. He's a hero in my mind because I know what they're risking. I know the danger they're facing. I know what they're going through. Other places, you know, and I think I'm going to hang my head at the judgment seat of Christ because <laughs> I'm here fat, dumb, and happy in Austin, Texas. Okay? Well, you know, we had, we had liberals. We had a very progressive um, town. You, come on, you lived in Texas. All right. So receiving a saint and holding men like him in high regard. Holding men like him in high regard. And you know something? The most rewarded believers, we're going to be amazed. We're going to be men we never heard of, women we never heard of, old women we never heard of, prayer warriors that are just powerful beyond anything we can dream of. And uh, they, they never will get written up in the church history books until the church is complete and we learn who the real heroes are. Okay? And that's going to be amazing. We can work hard in the Lord, Romans 16, 12. Greet uh, Tryphenea and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. And this is working, kapiao, laboring to the point of exhaustion. Greet Persis, the beloved one, who has worked hard in the Lord. Worked hard in the Lord. Okay? With that kind of, you know... (laughs) My son came in and he's drenched in sweat and he smells like five lawns that he worked on and and that's good outdoor healthy um character building uh work okay in the texas heat and uh glad you're home now get in the shower (laughs) okay but that kind of a thing and you're just laboring to the point of exhaustion in the lord in the lord first corinthians 15 58 Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, if you're going to go through burnout, and you're going to go through and kind of give up, and you're going to start to... The problem is, is you got your eyes off the Lord. If you're not toiling in the Lord, then yeah, you're going to burn out. Yeah, you're not going to abound. And uh, you're going to be in that trap where, you know, instead of sowing bountifully, you're going to sow sparingly and then you're going to reap sparingly and because you quit you quit working in the lord but the abounding is in the work of the lord your toil is not vain in the lord i think the corollary is what anything outside of in the lord is vanity of vanity it's all is vanity got to be in the lord you can greet others in the lord as I say, when you came in today and I shook your hand, you walked through the fellowship hall and I greeted you in English in the Lord. Okay? Or not. How do you tell? Well, if I'm in the Lord and you're in the Lord, if my fellowship is with the Father and His Son and your fellowship is with the Father and His Son, then what's our fellowship with? The Father and His Son. Okay? And so do we have the eyes to see that, the ears to hear that, the heart to know that? Can we, if we are in the Lord, one with another, and if we are serving one another, and if we know one another in the Lord, are we attuned to that kind of a thing? Are we supposed to be? Okay. And what fascinates me when we get to heaven is that story about Lazarus and the rich man dying and going to Sheol. Okay. And that's staggering to me. 
Because I think here on earth, there's so much physical that distracts us. There's so much visible that distracts us. And so when we greet one another and, you know, we see the clothes or the haircut or the, the beard or whatever, and, and, and we're not seeing what we're supposed to be seeing in the Lord. And yet Abraham meets Lazarus. There's immediate embrace. There's immediate comfort. But even when Lazarus looks, even when Abraham looks across the Gulf and he sees the rich man, right? Dives is the Roman tradition for him, but whatever. We don't know his name. But Abraham looks across and he sees that rich man. He knows everything about that man's life story. Just like that. He says, you know, in your life you had your good things. Lazarus had his bad things. Lazarus is being comforted now and you're over there in torments. How does Abraham know all of that? And when he calls out, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, how did he know who that was? (laughs) How does somebody in the first century look across a gulf and see somebody from 2,000 years ago and, oh, how do you know? See, they know. They know. And there's a capacity there. And it fascinates me. And I don't know. I can't explain it. I can just describe it and think about it and wonder. But when we are absent from the body, when we have been disembodied through physical death, and when we are just there in the the, the dimension of, well, that's Abraham's bosom and and, and Sheol, but still the the concept, when we are disembodied and are bared, when your soul is bared, think how intimate that is. When your soul is bared to your, your spouse, when your soul is bared to another believer. Okay? It's curious to me. Soul to soul, what you can see, what you can know, what you, um, that's why all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And I'm pondering the capacity every one of us will have in Christ. Because Jesus is the one with whom we have to do, and we're in him. Will all things then be bare to us when we reign with him and when we um, function in the millennial kingdom? All right, so greeting in the Lord greeting in the Lord. And there's, there's some fun things there about that, some things that happened in the first century even with prophets in the church being greeted and having things exposed. But anyway, um, boasting in the Lord. Boasting in the Lord. Did I get past the greetings? All right. Boasting in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? And we, we get that. We don't want to boast in ourselves. We want to boast in the flesh. We want to boast in the Lord. So that means, and, and by the way, it's mandatory. It's a have to. It's not optional. It's not optional. Some people say, well, I just won't boast at all. That way I make sure I don't do the wrong boasting. Wrong answer. Don't, just don't do the bad boasting. Clearly, don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in carnality. Don't boast in the bad stuff. But the answer is, to boast in the good stuff, to boast in the Lord, to give Him the glory. If you just say, well, I'm not going to do any kind of boasting, then you fail the privilege of boasting in the Lord. Second Corinthians ten seventeen as well. Birthing a child in the Lord. And sometimes it hurts. <laughs> childbirth hurts. That's actually physical childbirth after the fall. Spiritual childbirth? birthing a child in the Lord. For this reason I've sent to you, Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. In the Lord. My wife and I can't decide which of us birth our children spiritually. We know which one birthed them physically. Okay, I watched all four of those. Um, She birthed them all physically. Between the two of us, all four have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, can can either one of us claim credit? It was a group effort. Um, well, yeah, it always takes two anyway. So, uh, but birthing a child in the Lord and it doesn't hurt. Labor and childbirth. Although, if you end up going back into travail a second time, that can hurt. Paul talked about that to the Galatians. Um, Mary in the Lord. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to marry to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Now, some people think, well, that just means you have to marry a believer. It's more than that. It's more than that. (laughs) 
the fact that they're saved and you're saved does not mean that God wants you to marry that saved person. Okay? In the Lord. Meaning submitting your will to their will. It's like hoping in the Lord. Marrying in the Lord. Saying, well, this person, not this person. Is this who God has assigned for me? And here's a clue. If you've been saved unto good works that are prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, then those good works prepared beforehand that you should walk in them have to include the woman that you're supposed to shepherd or the man that you're supposed to help mate. Okay? That uh, the God has designed, this is the old you know, right man, right woman doctrine, the concept that God has designed my works for me, including my works as the pastor of Austin Bible Church. They were established before the foundation of the world. Also my works as, uh, as Sharon's husband, my works as the father of, of our four children. And now I've got a stepdaughter, uh, not a step, uh, in-law, daughter-in-law. All right. Um, all of these are works designed beforehand that I, should, that I should walk in them. So the father has a will. The father has a plan, a specific will for my life. And so in the Lord, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, I think speaks to this. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is, that there are blessings in single li- a single life that uh, can serve undistracted. So marrying in the Lord. Entering a door of ministry in the Lord. We talked about this, if it's an open door, make sure it's an open door in the Lord. And if, it, and if it's your door, okay? If it's your door. So when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, this is actually a description of Paul's failure. He blows it here. Paul was going through a time of turmoil where he was killing himself with guilt over getting Titus killed. <laughs> he had sent Titus to Corinth with 2 Corinthians. Or no, I'm sorry, he had sent Titus to Corinth with a painful letter with a painful letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And then Titus disappeared. And in the ancient world, you didn't have Skype and texting and instant communications of Facebook and whatever else. Timothy couldn't, or Titus couldn't get on Facebook and say, uh, you know, things aren't going well in Corinth today. And Paul can follow the news feed. All right. Paul took, I mean, he put a scroll in Titus's hand. Titus went off to Corinth and then not a word, not a word. I had no rest from my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Thanks be to God. So he finally gets reunited with Titus. Anyway, we'll get more on that in a later chapter of 2 Corinthians, when he finally got to encounter Titus. Grace on top of grace, because Titus was alive and Corinth had had repented. And so he was able to kind of finish. 2 Corinthians was really two books, because it was the first half, and then it was the reunion with Titus, and then it was the second half that he just finished writing the book now with uh, the big relief off his mind in, uh, in that. So entering a door of ministry... Colossians 4.17 said Archippus, take heed to the ministry to which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. That you may fulfill it. So if you're a seminary student and you're looking around wondering, you know, when am I going to be ordained? When am I going to, when's, when I'm going to have a pulpit? When am I going to have a church? Not getting any younger? Well, in the Lord. In the Lord. Okay? And we got an elder here that was ordained in 1982. God's never given him a pulpit but he's serving in the Lord. And uh, these, are, these are the things we learn with gifts, with ministries, with effects. All right. We have confidence in the Lord. This is great. I have confidence in you in the Lord. Isn't that great? Because there can be people in a church, <laughs> this is where, again, I just get generic, There can be people in a church, humanly speaking, that you have no confidence in whatsoever. I'm not looking at anybody. 
But you know, in the flesh, just a human being, in purely human terms, I got no confidence at all. But what about in the Lord? You can have every confidence in the Lord. Every confidence, because you know that God has done amazing things in your life. There's a miracle. And if God can work with a schmuck like me, man, what can He do with any believer walking by faith, walking in the light? You can have every confidence in the Lord. Clue, by the way, too, for housewives, submitting to your husbands in the Lord. Because even in their boneheadedest, most bonehead moment, you're not trusting in them in themselves. Submitting to them because they deserve it. It's in the Lord. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. All right. So uh, we can have confidence in that. You will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Anyway, having confidence in somebody else. How about having confidence in yourself? Self-confidence. Here you go. You know, you go to the bookstore, there are shelves and shelves. There are aisles dedicated to self-confidence, self-esteem, self-help, all this self. It's a religion of self that we were told was going to come in the uh, latter days. Confidence, confidence in self. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. That's a self-confidence that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy had on behalf of the uh, Thessalonican saints. Confidence. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. That's the, you got to start there. Or you can't, how do you put the armor on? It doesn't fit if you're not strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You know? You ever think about that? You ever think about the armor you used to wear? You ever think about the armor that doesn't fit anymore? Because you've grown spiritually fat instead of spiritually strong? I know, it's insulting, isn't it? But, you know, I was looking at my army uniform in the closet. I cannot wear my army uniform today. <laughs> um, well, just a fact, okay? Uh, you know, I say keep your armor on, and it also means stay in shape. Spiritually in shape, so you can keep that armor on. You know, do they make the armor of God in triple X, quadruple X, extra large armor? What, what, what size do they fit that armor? I said, Pastor, move on. <laughs> All right. Be strong in the Lord. How about trust in the Lord? This ought to be the easiest thing because it, it, isn't this how we got saved? <laughs> you remember how you got saved? Keep doing that. Don't stop. We walk by faith, not by sight. So trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Today, tomorrow, all day, every day. Most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. That's in the same paragraph we're looking at this morning. I trust in the Lord. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy, and I trust in the Lord that I myself am coming shortly. That's how that whole paragraph opens and closes. Hoping in the Lord, trusting in the Lord. There's hope. What started it all, Philippians 2.19. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard to you. Pastors love repetition. And it helps. Beware of the dogs. I don't know. I colored that yellow years ago, and I'm not sure. (laughs) My flock will tell you I'm not a big dog fan. I was traumatized at two, and I will tell that story as long as I'm on this earth. All right, I'm out of time. This is, uh, there's more. Uh, rejoice in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord, live in harmony in the Lord. Now that's, that's a big important one too because again, there's human personalities you may have no harmony with at all. There could be human personalities that'll drive you up a wall, you'd be irritated you know, six ways to Sunday. But in the Lord, you can live in harmony in the Lord. 
have charge over a flock in the Lord. Benefit from one another in the Lord. Die in the Lord. So, I'm out of time. Um, We'll just uh, pick up here on Wednesday, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for this day and the blessing we have to assemble together. We thank you for the living and abiding Word of God. And open our eyes to these things, Father. Cause us to uh, to just chew on these things. Help us to see where the application is. That uh, in addition to the filling of the Holy Spirit that we're going to learn about tonight, um, how does uh, how does occupation with Christ factor into this? How do I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith? That if I'm going to hope in the Lord and trust in the Lord and walk in the Lord and do all these other things in the Lord... Uh, Father, show me what that means on a practical basis so that uh, my thinking, my actions, my life is, uh, is a true expression of what these verses are telling us. Make this real, Father, so we can live it out and glorify your Son. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.